Hello everyone, my name is Wais Asmal. Welcome to another episode of Two Ways to Skin a Cat, a show where we talk career experiences, entrepreneurship and investments. The main aim is to show that there's more than one way to be successful other than just climbing the corporate ladder. We are live on LinkedIn and YouTube and the show will be available on podcast by tomorrow. So don't forget to like, subscribe and click on that notification bell to get automatically notified when the next episode comes out. If you are joining us live, Drop a one in the comments so that we know we're not talking to ourselves. And if you're watching the recording, drop a two in the comments. My guest for this week is Joseph Lumbahe, artificial intelligence engineer. He's also completing his Master's of Science in Computer Science at the University of London after completing a Master of Science in Financial Engineering as well. Joseph, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks very much, Royce. It's a pleasure of having you here. Let's jump straight into the meat of it. Tell us your story. Where do you come from? And even outside of work, who is Joseph Lumbaye? Give us a backstory. All right. I'm definitely happy to do that. Uh, well, uh, let's start. Let's, uh, let's go way back in time. So I am currently based in South Africa in Cape Town, right? But I'm not originally from SA. Uh, so my mother is actually Congolese from the DRC, and uh, my father is French from France. And I did my schooling in a Belgian school, and then uh, after completing my high school, I eventually came here in South Africa. Well, I've been coming here to South Africa quite a lot, quite often. Uh, that was my go-to places for holidays with uh, my, my dad. And uh, so I fell in love with Cape Town, to be specific. I've been to Joburg. Pretoria, Cape Town, and Durban, but out of all places, I love Cape Town. So, in about at, uh, in 2010, uh, I came uh, started with um, initial degree in I mean at Demlin actually. Uh, it's a technical college. Uh, I just did one year at Demlin uh, with PC support, and then I moved to UWC. I mean to UCT, sorry, in 2012. And then I did my electrical and computer engineering degree at UCT. And then after that, I eventually started working uh, within the engineering field. Uh, but then uh, quickly, actually, I realized that engineering was not what you think it is. And uh, I eventually developed a lot of interest for the computing world, uh, AI, right? And I started uh, self-developing myself within the field of AI and eventually went into a purely computer science degree with uh, University of the Western Cape, UWC. And uh, once I completed that, uh, did a master's in financial engineering at the university in the US uh, um, online. And I did now, I'm now doing and completing a master's into computer science with an AI focus at the University of East London in Britain. So yeah, so that's pretty much me. And uh, yeah, I've been in Cape Town and I live here and I'm loving it. And outside of work, who are we on the weekends? Who outside of work? Uh, it uh, that's a good question. Uh, are you talking to me about weekend? Many many times I actually wonder myself what is weekend again because I <laughs> do not have the time. So um, I mean um, I do work a lot. Uh, sometimes I feel like twenty four hours is not enough in a day. But then uh, I do I do take some time off uh, when necessary um, during weekend. What I like to do um, is just taking my weekend drive. I mean Cape Town has such a beautiful landscape. So what I like doing on Saturdays on a nice sunny day is uh, just taking a drive along the coast. You have uh, awesome places to drive. 
uh, I just rela I like relaxing that way, taking a drive or eating out or visiting a friend. But otherwise, uh, I used to play tennis, but then I just do not have the time anymore. Uh, but then I wish I could. But otherwise, on weekends, I uh, sometimes work on to my personal project, my ventures that I've uh, found co-founded. So um, yeah, you can tell at that point you realize that time is the most important assets that you are that you have. And I wish I can speak about that a little bit later. Sure, I think you can touch on that a little bit. But let's talk AI or artificial intelligence. Everyone mm -hmm. and their dog is talking about ChatGPT. What yes. are people out there missing? What is the next or even the current thing that we're not using or we're not even aware is available for us? Um, well, I think everybody is talking about ChatGPT. So uh, the big question, just like you said, it's what is next, right? What's coming next? Well, what's coming next is pretty much ChatGPT on steroids, if I have to put it plan. So, um, so we've reached a stage in AI where, uh, um, I mean, we start seeing how powerful AI can become as a tool and can transform any industry you can think of. And that's the beauty of AI. You can implement AI in any industry, uh, but you can't quite implement whatever your industry is doing within the AI world, meaning the computing and IT world. But the other way around is doable. So GPT, first of all, I mean, GPT became this big thing, this uh, really important and valuable tool that everybody's using nowadays, simply because of the amount of data that has been uh, generated along the years. That's what made GPT able to do what it's able to do now. The amount of data available generated by any platform, by people, by conversation online, on the internet, uh, all that data, that's what made GPT now, because it started off with, I mean, uh, GPT has been around, but then with GPT 3.5 that has been trained on billions of parameters. Uh, well, we managed to uh, eventually uh, open AI, which is the, the company uh, that has really uh, uh, pushed the, the, the NLP um, the NLP sphere forward, they train GPT 3.5 on billions of parameters. And that was uh, text data, text-based data that you find on the web. And uh, what happened is that, uh, I mean, now you have this very powerful neural network, this very powerful uh, model that is able to understand um, context, unlike traditional machine learning that's um, based on input, um, I mean, input of certain data, training a specific type of data, and then it generate based on pattern. Uh, GPT is more of a, it's a large, what you call a large language model, LLMs. So that uses transformers and transformers have ability to, um, to understand context. It's a type of neural, I mean, neural networks that have ability to understand context. Uh, yeah, so uh, GPT actually stands for Generative Pre-trained Transformers, and then uh, so now we went from 3.5 very quickly to GPT-4, and I mean those who had access to GPT-4 could really see the difference. The difference was really apparent. Um, I mean GPT-4 could solve very uh, complex uh, problems. It could eventually tackle tasks that uh, GPT 3.5 was not able to tackle at all. Now you have multiple tools. What happened is that you have this explosion into the tech industry of multiple tools that allows you to solve multiple other problems in any other field. Now you have um, a version of ChatGPT within the medical field. 
You have a version of ChatGPT within the fin, uh, I mean, the financial, the fintech field. So now you find out that GPT now have all these ramification and all these tools that now allow people to um, to eventually uh, improve their, their operation. They focus more on the operation sides than wasting a lot of time on uh, mundane tasks. And uh, yeah, I think the big thing really, um, talking for myself, because um, um, I'm a manager and AI lead engineer at a company called Isotron uh, in Cape Town. Uh, so, uh, my main focus within Isotron was uh, revolving around computer vision. So, um, but now with the power of GPT, uh, I believe that the future would eventually be combining uh, what GPT has uh, the ability to do, uh, all these LLMs with uh, computer vision. Because what you do is that you're creating a system that can not only see, but can also interpret language, human language, and eventually translate and analyze what it sees. And that's where the world is going. Okay. Yeah. And, and my understanding is that um, the free version of ChatGPT is 3.5 currently, and if you pay, then it's 4 or 4.5, whatever that is now, which I thought yeah. was quite interesting. Not everybody's aware of that. So thanks for pointing <laughs> that on out. And as, as someone who's also working at the cutting edge of AI, why do people need to maybe safeguard against that they they have it? Because, I mean, it's, it's, it's all new and exciting. Is there anything we need to be watching out for? Is there anything we need to take care about or anything to do with data privacy? Anything? Uh, uh, can you give us any tips there? So, I mean, uh, there's, there's many facets to this, right? Uh, it's just like when the internet came out, there was all these questions around. I mean, people being skeptic about using uh, the internet, uh, people not really wanting to jump onto the adoption curve. But the reality is that at the end of the day, everybody will jump on it. What I always say is if you do not adopt AI now, you'll just be left behind. A uh, very good example, uh, it's a company called... Um, there's a, okay, I'm not going to mention the company, but there's a company, a tutoring company. Uh, what happened is that, I mean, they used to provide tutoring um, classes, assistance with tutors online for students in university for the tutorials and tests and assignments and all of that. But when ChatGPT came out, well, they, they, they kind of overlooked that. But there's another tutoring company that is as known as them. But what they did is that the moment ChatGPT came out, they adopted ChatGPT and they embedded GPT within the platform, making the platform productivity better, making the experience better for the users. And what happened is that uh, the value of the other company just went down. They literally crashed. And uh, but um, yeah, so what I'm trying to say here is that um, the adoption curve, I mean, everybody has to jump on it. Otherwise, you'll just be left behind. There's this famous quote. I'm not going to claim that that quote belongs to me because I once said it, but I heard people saying it. I mean, I guess it's something that is obvious, but uh, uh, AI will not take your jobs. It won't replace people. But what's going to happen is that a person using AI will replace you. That's just a fact, right? So, um, yeah, so coming back to um, what you were saying, um, I mean, what's going to happen is that you always be have people that are skeptical, but then at the end of the day, um, we start seeing more and more companies using uh, ChatGPT into their daily work and the employees. But this, um, 
there are a couple of things to be aware of. And of course, uh, we in an era where data is the new electricity out there. But then um, that simply means that data contains things that are personal. And for companies, we're speaking about intellectual property. We're speaking about, um, I mean, very sensitive data that are not to be shared with the public. So in a free version of ChatGPT 3.5, one thing that people did not quite know at the beginning is that any input text you're putting into that, uh, that UI, that chat box, uh, that you inter whilst you're interacting with the bot, your text, OpenAI has the right to eventually have visibility on that text and use that to train their model further or for the engineers to analyze and see how their bot is interacting for further improvement. And But that's stated into the terms and conditions. So what they're doing is completely legal. But then uh, when you have the paid version and you use the API on GPT-4, well, at that point, your data is private. Your data is not shared with OpenAI. And that's one of the big differences, right? So um, I guess uh, as an engineer and developer within the tech field, we often interact with APIs. It's hardly the case where we'll, have, we'll be interacting with that uh, GPT window, that chat box and typing in there. Often we use GPT using APIs. And uh, anybody building a system using GPT are really um, I mean, get the paid version, get the API, that will save you the travel. Uh, we had cases back then where we even had AWS engineers um, uh, using GPT to solve some of their, to debug some of their codes, I mean, solve some of the solutions that they were getting during, I mean, um, during development phase. But then uh, uh, I once uh, saw a headline, uh, AWS internal lawyers, um, warning um, and um, not advising engineers not to use GPT because by doing that, there's information about AWS that you're sharing, source code, code base, how you're implementing, I don't know, whatever software they're working on. So that's uh, a passive leak of information, right? So, so yeah, so these are things to really think of. But then there's a whole different curve within the low industry because I actually like to point that out. You're talking about data privacy. My question is, when it comes to copyright, hey, so uh, copyright and ownership of information. I mean, um, the creator, the author of, I mean, the author of a work owns the copyright of that work, right? I cannot quite recall which act is that, and my definition of copyright might not be 100% correct, but it's along those lines. The author of the work owns copyright of that work. But then now the main question rises is, um, if I generate content using ChatGPT, does that make me liable of any, uh, any accusation about surrounding that data? Am I the author of that work? Because I'm the one who generated that work using my own prompt engineering, or is OpenAI author of that work? Or is the author of the work the source of where OpenAI scripts that all that billions uh, parameter data that they had to train the GPT model? Because we could argue that the internet, whoever wrote something somewhere that GPT was trained on, is the author. You could argue that OpenAI is the author. You could argue that you are the author. So who takes the blame when there's a... Um, there's, um, I mean, there's a legal case against some data generated. 
that that the copyright and ownership and the infringement and all that who takes the blame so there's a whole talk about that and you'll find out that a lot of law companies ens africa bowman's discussing about that online on on um, uh, on linkedin and all that it's quite interesting for the audience we'll be responding to questions towards the end so if you've got any questions for joseph please add them to the comment section now so that we don't miss them i saw that you were selected as a Malian guardian top 200 south africans firstly congratulations um, thank you very much how did you apply and what was that experience like? Oh, uh, how did I apply and how was that experience? Let me try to recall. The experience was great. Let me start with the experience. The experience was great. I mean, uh, the Malian Guardian uh, is such an amazing, uh, it's such an amazing opportunity, really. Uh, I mean, I really loved everything about them from uh, the interaction with Mail and Guardian, from what they're doing uh, for, uh, for innovative folks out there, uh, just like myself. It was really, it's really a great experience and I can talk a bit more about it. And I was deeply honored actually uh, to share that I've been uh, recognized as one of the Mail and Garden 200 South African in the technology and innovation um, uh, category and um so maybe a little bit more about Marian guardian right uh Marian guardian i mean the Marian guardian 200 south african is brought by anglo-american and it actually celebrates uh the trailblazing efforts of young south africans across a diverse array of fields uh who are dedicated to creating a more sustainable future right and they've been around the thing for a decade and uh, they constantly celebrate uh, um, uh, young South Africans on their initiatives and uh, uh, making them proud and recognizing the resilience and a robust uh, technological solution and effort. So uh, I'm really grateful for that recognition. And uh, But the selection process was uh, based on a lot of rigorous questions, actually. Uh, of course, they do a whole background check on yourself. You cannot just uh, be selected uh, like that. So they have a whole rig, I mean, a background check on the work that you do and, of course, what you say. Uh, they have a bunch of questions that you have to go through for that selection. And you have you need to provide um, evidence, of course, of the work that you do, of anything that you state that you're doing. You need to provide evidence. And I presume that uh, their team is doing a great job into filtering that down and eventually uh, endorsing what you've provided. But then again, it comes down to the fact that I always said that to uh, some of my mentees, because I do mentor a lot of folks out there, I always tell them, um, you need to have a personal brand. Because no matter how amazing you are, if you if you don't know how to sell yourself, if you don't have a brand available publicly, there is no way that what you do would be recognized. Even if you say you might be amazing in your office, your, I mean, your colleagues know how awesome your work is, but then there's nobody out there that knows you. So you need a personal brand, an online presence. And that's how, that's why I value LinkedIn above any social media. LinkedIn is for me the, it's the place. <laughs> it's the place to be. As a young professional, LinkedIn is really a great place to be where you can eventually uh, create um, your personal brand. Yeah. I want to switch over a little bit to, um, your, to talking through your master's choices. So uh, you first chose a master's in financial engineering, and now you're doing a master's in computer science. So, yes, correct. Uh, on the face of it, it doesn't look, it's, it's not a, a logical jump or it's not an automatic jump. Maybe tell us why you chose the two fields. 
All right. Uh, I mean, I'm happy to tell you that. Uh, I know it's quite a weird combination. It's quite unusual uh, from finance to back to tech. It doesn't make quite much sense. But then there's a reason to that, right? Uh, so that the reason for that is um, the fact that, well, I mean, I started working in 2015 or 16, uh, around there. Uh, so when I started working, I've realized that uh, sometimes there's a lot of big problems that, I mean, big corporates just do not tackle simply because they do not have the time. They're focusing on improving what they're already busy with and all of that. And of course, you have, besides corporate, you have startups. Startups are coming out and trying to solve and being innovative, tackling the problems that the big guys just do not have the time for or don't even think of tackling. So what happened is that uh, I always have this entrepreneurial spirit, put it that way. And that entrepreneurial spirit uh, led me to uh, co-found uh, two ventures. Uh, and um, now, Co-founding a venture sounds nice, but it's not an easy task. I mean, it's definitely not easy. It's very difficult and there's just so much going on simply because you're wearing multiple hats. You have uh, found, I mean, head of a founder, you have a CEO or CTO hat, you have um, a strategy guy's hat, you have a marketing hat, you do everything by yourself because you're not just hiring from day one, you have to fulfill all those roles. So the one thing that, um, the one element that is very important for uh, a venture when you're starting is understanding your financial structure, is understanding how you eventually, um, uh, I mean, allocating your finances, understanding uh, how to invest whatever you're doing, what are assets, what are the instruments and all of that. And with my technical background, I found that, okay, I can't just go and jump into doing uh, accounting or become or anything like that. But there's this field, financial engineering, that was offered by Walcon University in the US. And uh, well, I looked at the curriculum and it was amazing because it was using machine learning, which was already one of my core skill, machine learning within the finance uh, space. And I was like, all right, I'm not just going to get bored with finance, but at least I'm going to use something I love within finance and then make sense out of it. And eventually, because I'm all about automating tasks, I'm all about making things better. So my head started spinning around how I can use AI within finance to just make things better, right? Uh, so that's why I jumped for the financial engineering. And of course, it gives you as well that um, that uh, that executive mindset on how to, uh, to handle um, your company's assets and all of that. So uh, that really helped. It helped me into my ventures. And that's one of the reasons why I jumped for the financial engineering field so that I can acquire those knowledge and apply them within my uh, uh, my ventures. Uh, and then after that, I jumped onto uh, my uh, master's into computer science at the University of East London in Britain. So, so that the reason for that, it's simply because I wanted to, uh, how do I put that? I wanted to validate my skills within the computer science field with AI. It's one thing to know something. Yeah, uh, we all know that. That's great. Your skills, I mean, it's great when your skills, of course, are recognized through an award or through national or continental uh, awards. 
Um, but it's also great when you have that certified on paper by an educational institution, right? So my master's was more of um, uh, refining those tiny bits of element that I might have learned, uh, acquired knowledge in my uh, my job experience, my professional life, but I wanted to eventually uh, pin all that down and be certified that, hey, this guy knows what he's talking about. He didn't just learn AI around the corner of the street, right? But he knows what he's talking about. And that's how I ended up uh, doing my master's. And one of the reasons as well for doing a master's within the tech field is the fact that um, uh, during my professional career, I got to realize that some countries are fond uh, of people who are masters and PhD level, but some countries are fond of people who just have a degree, but just have a lot of work experience. It all depends. From, for example, South Africa is a country, have an industry that have a high demand of skilled folks. So you can have a degree, but, and then, but you have a lot of skills in what you do, you, you're good to go. You go in a place like the US, for example, they're really fond of folks that are uh, masters and PhD level. I mean, not that folks that are undergrad, I mean, graduated with uh, honors are not considered, but that's just uh, how the country runs. I mean, and I can bet that that's justified by the amount of research that is taking place in that market. Every market are different. The industries differ from one country uh, from another. And uh, yeah, that's the only reason why I really uh, did both those masters that are completely different. Yeah. I do have a few more questions, but I see there's one or two questions coming from the audience, so I, I, want to, I don't yeah. want to miss them. No, I can do them. We've got a question. Uh, the, the name is not coming through, but it says, what is your advice to a chartered accountant who wants to pivot to IT? Pivot or mm -hmm. maybe add on to the qualification. Any, any, any advice there? All right. Uh, talking about chartered accountant, I have a friend, uh, and uh, she actually uh, was studying for her CA route. Hey? And uh, so what happened is that when she was studying for a year out, uh, we were often having conversations around uh, how is tech relevant to a CA. And one day I actually sat down and then I did show her how coding could make her CA life easier. I eventually showed her how to automate some of the CA tasks she was doing some of the accounting tasks she had from calculating this and have all those balance sheets and all that stuff that I have no clue about. I just needed to understand the process. And I wrote some code for her. And then uh, she eventually, tasks that would take her, I don't know, an hour or so or more, could just be done in a space of minutes, uh, less than 10 minutes she was done. So it's the tech world, the, the nice bit part about the tech world is that it's relevant in anything. When I speak about the tech world, I'm speaking specifically about the IT, uh, the, the computing. Let me say computing because IT involves networking and all that. But the computing world is that it has ability to automate anything, whatever you think of, really. Um, uh, as long as it stays within the boundaries of possibilities, of course. So. Uh, so since that day, she eventually started taking a programming courses that are um, uh, um, that are suggested to her back then, and uh, yeah, she never regretted that. I mean, uh, and she became she became now. I mean, she's a positive asset to the company. She doesn't only know how to do accounting, but she can also automate and do amazing other stuff using tech. And you don't find accountant like that out there really 
uh, not many, um, but having the, um, I mean, the tech element on top of your of your head makes you more variable, a more variable asset. And the simple way to start about with that, it's learn, start learning a simple programming language such as Python. Python, that's the language that I would really advise anybody that wanna learn how to code. Start off with Python because it's a high level language, very human friendly. Uh, the syntax is human friendly. You'd understand and quickly grasp onto it. Uh, and there are courses out there, I think I've seen some that are tailored toward accounting. So Python for accountants and things like that. So jump on one of those and you'll, you'll quickly see the POV, the proof of value out of it very quickly. Yeah. I think that is a good point. And what, what I would add is some hmm. people, when they, when, they look, when they ask questions like this, they're almost saying, what, uh, what qualification do I need to study next? Whereas, whereas what you're saying is you don't need to, to have any qualification. There's small mm. short courses you can do. You can learn Python before you decide to invest a whole lot of money in a new qualification. Maybe you find something else that you're interested in. So maybe do the short courses. Maybe do yeah. the Python learning before you jump into, I want to study this other fancy accreditation. Exactly. And yeah, and that, that's very true. And that's one thing that students get very wrong that I've noticed. People think that qualification is the go-to thing. But the qualification, really, it's not what always makes you uh, ready for the market. We've shifted from an era that used to like, I want to see your degree, I want to see your marks, to an era that says, I want to see what you're able to do. Right. So the whole degree, like nowadays you apply for a job, nobody will ask you for your transcript, literally. In the tech world, they'll ask you, provide me your GitHub repository. GitHub is a repository where you have all your code base, your project. They want to see what you're able to do. Marks, anybody can get 80s, but then doesn't mean that you know what you're doing. <laughs> right. So get the skills. Funny enough, Google uh, released some certification courses that you can eventually find on Coursera. And Google said that they're actually hiring people without the need of a degree, but you just need to complete some of those certifications because skills is applied based. Um, yeah, and then you get the rest, uh, the, your experience, I mean, um, as you go along uh, during your professional journey. So upskill yourself with courses, certification, project, get involved into something. You don't need to spend another four years and five years studying for a degree because after that degree you still need to acquire that hands-on skill i tell you and those google courses are good i've done the marketing one i just haven't had the time to get to the to the coding yeah. one so hopefully i still have to get that time yeah you should get on it they're amazing but i mean those are the, all the questions from the audience any last few words from you or anything we didn't discuss that you'd like the audience to know hmm. i mean um I guess that the audience here are young young professionals, right? Uh, so one advice that I'd say is uh, if there's any fresh graduates in the audience or if there's still people who are studying, the one important thing to understand is that you don't just study for the sake of studying. You need to understand the market you are in. Every single market around the world uh, has a specific demand. The South African market demand is not the same as in Europe or the US. Markets are just different. You need to understand the market you are into because that's where you're directing yourself. And if you have understanding of that market, what that will help you do is to know what to study, what to specialize into, and what to upskill into, and what to do. But if you don't, you will just study for the sake of studying to get a degree. And only after four to five years, you realize that you've been in the wrong direction. And I say that from experience simply because 
I've studied with a lot of folks. I had folks from UCT, friends of mine that studied mechatronics. Mechatronics is robotics. That's literally the other word for robotics. So, but all the mechatronics, most of the mechatronics engineer that I know that ended up now working from ESCOM, becoming uh, uh, developers, which has nothing to do with mechatronics. But why? Simply because the South African industry does not have a high demand for robotics. Robotics is not a thing in South Africa that, uh, that is in high demand. There's probably a few companies that are doing robotics, but the demand of that field in this industry is very low. So, uh, so it helps, but if you go in the US, so I don't know, somewhere in, uh, or in Europe, you'll understand that robotics have a high value. You definitely find a job. There's a lot of opportunities. And um, so, yeah, but the South African uh, industry has a very low demand. So understanding what your industry offers, what your industry wants will help you understanding what field of study you need to choose after grade 12, first of all, or once in it, what to do, or if you need to shift your, uh, from one field to another, and what to upskill into, and how that field works. Because if you're waiting all the way up to after you're graduating to start gathering skills, well, you might be up to a uh, very bad surprise after graduation, because uh, you'll be competing with thousands of other students and what makes you different, really. It's not a cum laude that will make you different, that I, I have to tell you. You're competing with thousands and thousands of other students. What makes you different is what are you able to, where you can show that I've done this during, like for me, all my holidays, I was literally upskilling, upskilling. And uh, um, yeah, so make sure you understand your market and make sure that uh, you, you upskill yourself in the direction of what the market is expecting you to come in. Now, I think why is that, that's one advice I can provide, really. That's a perfect way to, to end the show. The show has been live on YouTube and should be available on podcast by tomorrow. If you're watching on YouTube and listening on the podcast and you feel it's added value, don't forget to like, subscribe, and click on that notification bell to get automatically notified when the next episode comes out. Joseph, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, everyone, for joining us for another episode of Two Ways to Skin a Cat. Goodbye.